Do you want to jumpstart your innovation? Applications are open for the 2022 Rosamond Innovators Program. Connect with people who can speed up your scale-up in health tech. Subject matter experts, clinicians, partners, and investors. Deadline to apply is April 11th. Visit rosamondinstitute.org to learn more. We're always circling or, or figuring out ways to circumvent different systems to get to what we need because the system isn't built for us. So being able to navigate and not be scared of obstacles or challenges is just something that I've always been a part of my life since I was a child. Because when you have skin of a different color, you understand what the world has for you and how they see you and how they view you and the different opportunities that may or may not be available to you. But it's up to you to overcome that and to not let that be a barrier. And now from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. I'm so excited to introduce our guest today, Maria Lissaris. She's an accomplished venture capitalist who has been running businesses since she was in college. Now, as a founding partner of Little Sky Ventures, she works to give companies the investment they need to make healthcare more equitable. Today, we discuss her amazing career, as well as some of the obstacles women and people of color face in healthcare. We also discuss some strengths and insights Maria has as a female, international, person of color in the industry. It is one part of what makes Maria and Steel Sky so special. Here's our conversation. Well, thank you, Maria, for joining this morning. Thank you for having me. It's so great to see you again. We met when we first had our health tech league uh, in Guerneville in October. So it's great to catch up again. I thought it would be great for our listener to hear about your background, uh, your the journey that you took, like what shape, who you are, and how you decided to start this amazing fun. Bring us back to from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> All the way back to the beginning. I really start my journey and think um, when I was a student at Wake Forest University, I started the first student-run business. So I always had this entrepreneurial spirit ever since I was a little girl, starting babysitters, clubs, lemonade stands, garage cleaning business, you name it. I was trying to start a business. And that followed me into college where I started an online shipping and storage company with a friend um, from another college. And we started that at our schools um, back in 2000 when it was novel to be <laughs> and new to be ordering services online. And so we started that company with both of our schools, expanded to seven schools, 49 schools. And then that eventually became the largest college shipping and storage company in the nation and subsequently was bought by U-Haul and they're still running it over 21 years later. So that's really amazing. I clicked back into the website to see if it's still there. And, and so far it still is. So uh, that was really my first foray into entrepreneurship. And I knew that I just had a passion and a love for it, but I also knew I had a lot to learn. So I spent the next 17 years of my career building skills so that I could be, be a great CEO. So started out as a management consultant, doing technology consultant at Booz Allen, then went to NYU. So got a finance degree so I could understand that. 
then as we talked before, we were both at Kraft. Um, went to craft to learn how to run businesses. And so, as you know, each business, is, each brand is run as its own business. And so had the opportunity to work there, managing a P&L, growing companies, turning around companies and brands. And it was an amazing experience. Uh, and then I saw that our branding agencies were having all the fun. So skipped over there and worked on some contracts with American Express and SAP and some really great global brands and wanted to understand how to make a global brand resonate around the world. So joined an international marketing company and was off to Samsung in South Korea and also did some consulting in Philips in Amsterdam. So was having kind of this whirlwind experience and then settled back in New York and helped scale the largest dermatology clinic in the Northeast. So got to put all my skills to work, helped rebrand the company, helped set acquisition strategies, helped develop a product strategy. And so it was a really great opportunity. Um, in all of my years, you know, and all of the work I had done over the past 17 years really all kind of culminated there. While I was there, I ended up being able to spend some time learning from our VC backers and so from our private equity companies as well. So um, got more interested in what they were doing and wanted to learn how to invest. So I joined a group called Pipeline Angels, which is an angel investing group for women and learn how to invest. Started investing in women-led social enterprises and really found a passion for that. And I wanted to do that for my career. So I started focusing my efforts on investing in uh, female-led companies. And then I started seeing these female-led companies that weren't getting so much attention. Everybody was into invest in food or retail or beauty, but there were some really scalable, interesting companies that were making big change in the women's health space. And because I had a healthcare background, I was able to understand how to invest in these types of companies. And so that's what I started to do. I invested in about 11 companies, seven of them were in women's healthcare. And then I decided last year to launch a $50 million fund to invest in women's health companies. So we're investing in companies that create better access, care, and outcomes in women's health. And we are really excited about the change that we're able to make in the world, the impact, and hopefully progress the investment in women-led companies. It's amazing your journey. I felt like, you know, when you're not a hundred years old, I feel like, gosh, you've done so much. I feel like, <laughs> and um, it's almost like you're, um, what you're saying, but your experience starting that company that was acquired by U-Haul is not many people can have, uh, can say like that, that's a good success uh, story on your first roundabout and then decide like, let me learn more. Uh, and then, and you get even more uh, along the way. You also experience living in different part of the world. And how does that change you about living in a different place in different country outside the U.S.? Well, for me, I started outside of the U.S. I was born in Germany <laughs> and I lived in Belgium and I moved to the U.S. when I was 10. So for me, living internationally felt great. It felt like I was supposed to. We always moved every three years. My dad worked in the military and worked for NATO. So we were always moving around. And so for me, I love the experience of being in and learning uh, from other cultures. Oh, so that comes in really uh, part of your nature growing up is 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 being international and I kind of pride myself on on that because I love 
being international. I love being from overseas because I feel that it gives me a competitive advantage because I have a different perspective than most people who you know might have been born and raised in the U.S. Um, and then layering on top of that, being a woman of color in the U.S. as well. So I just feel like we have um, a really unique perspective to add to the world. And so that's why when I'm looking at companies, I'm seeing them through a different lens than the average VC investor. So something that they would totally overlook, I would think was really interesting because of my unique background and how I grew up. And so what would that be the thing that sometimes that is kind of the perspective that you got as an outsider and yet also an insider, right? Because I think when you have live away, it gives you, give you the opportunity to see things from the outside, but as being inside, also you have that perspective. Well, I think an international perspective on how our healthcare system works uh, because I've seen it run in other countries before. I've seen, I've experienced the healthcare system in other countries and I've experienced it in the U.S. And um, just the level of care, you know, the type of, you know, how it's financed even is very different. And so that gives me a different perspective. Being a person of color gives me an additional perspective because I understand the discrepancies in care with the healthcare system and that others wouldn't, right? 90% of venture capitalists aren't women of color. Actually, there's 0.0006 women of color VCs. So I am just a rounding error who doesn't even exist. And because of that, you have to imagine I'm going to have a different perspective than your average venture capitalist, which is going to allow me to find new and different opportunities. And so for instance, for me, when I'm investing in a company, I'm looking at how does this serve my communities? How does this serve? How does this serve service communities of color? How does it service Medicaid communities? How does it service people that I have known and interact with? Right? I didn't, you know, go to an Ivy League school and you know grow up in Silicon Valley, and so the needs of people in inner city Newark is very different than the needs of people living, you know, in Palo Alto. And so I really think that we bring that to bear when we're looking at an organization. So for instance, when we're looking at a healthcare company, I want to make sure they have an overlay of social determinants of health, because that's really important when you're trying to reach different types of communities, understanding the challenges that they face that are unique to their communities and to their experience, understanding how they can best engage in the health system. For instance, when COVID happened, Everybody was like, great, telehealth, digital health, this is amazing. Uh, but there's a huge portion of the American population that does not have access to the internet. So how are we expecting them to receive care if they can't go to the hospital? Those are the types of things that keep us up at night because we want to make sure that there's access to healthcare for all Americans, not just select few lucky ones. Yeah. So I, I think the COVID definitely highlight a lot of that. And it's not something new. It's just somehow... It, maybe people stay at home more and then it got coverage more on a newspaper. Um, and one of the things sometimes I feel could be wrong is that sometimes investors always look for, you know, return on their money, their, their investment and uh, t- um, having technology or healthcare that's serving that underrepresent, uh, underserved population. And, they kind of trying to figure out how is that going to help them with their bottom line? How do you throw up that to make sure that you can also, you know, in, after all, when you're investing, you do need to return the money to the investor, but then you also have 
that interest about social impact? How do you kind of align that? So we're not an impact fund. It's really important for us not to call ourselves an impact fund because I want to show that I can disprove what you just said. I want to show that a returns first fund can be highly impactful. So we're a returns first fund. It just so happens that 100% of our companies are making the lives of people in the world better. So when I wake up every day, every day, I can feel good about what I'm putting into the world, right? And it's not, we're not doing it because we're trying to be a charity. We're doing it because we can turn great returns to our investors. We feel like the companies that we're backing have been overlooked, but not because they're not a good financial opportunity because people just don't understand it. And they didn't understand the financial opportunity because they weren't willing to take a chance um, or really look into it. Because why? When you can invest in things like fintech and crypto and, and you know regular biotech, things that people have been investing in for years. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But what we see from our perspective is it is broken from our perspective as a person of color, as a woman, as people not getting the healthcare services they need. We feel the system is broken. So we have to break it so that we can fix it so it works for everyone. And so I disagree that you have to have a trade-off between impact and returns. And that is what we want to show with our Fund. We want to show that we're returns first, but we are inherently impactful. And um, I think we're going to be able to prove that and hopefully shift the paradigm and people can believe that we can invest in our climate, we can invest in sustainability and still receive great returns. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great to hear because I think oftentimes people kind of reluctant going to that part is almost like sometimes I feel like is this like a lip service that people are doing which is not doing anybody any favor I know you mentioned that you're interested in women's health like what part of women's health there's so wide variety what are the things that you found is interesting in women's health and what's the future is going to look like so from our perspective we invest in companies that create better access care or outcomes in women's health So that allows us to invest along a broad spectrum. We've invested in a drone company that delivers prescription medicine and medical supplies. We've invested in a menopause platform. We've invested in a maternal health platform that gives on-demand services, a diagnostic uh, company for maternal health. We're really excited about the different areas of women's health how we're going to support the new infrastructure of these new technology-enabled services. So that's what's really exciting us. We're really excited about building new categories, too, in women's health. For instance, period apparel, period underwear is just becoming a category, and we have a a horse in that race. And so we're excited about Ruby Love and where they're going to be going in the future. We're excited for them to be on the shelves because it's not in the shelves yet. It's still just something kind of in the wings that's growing. And so we're excited to help be building new categories. Um, we're excited about Origin, our company in our portfolio. They're a physical therapy platform for women and mothers. This should be a standard of care for every woman who gives birth. They should have pelvic floor physical therapy to for intervention so they don't have to have unnecessary services on the back end. We're excited about innovations in medical devices. We just invested in a company called Radiant Oximetry, and they found a better way to detect fetal distress. A lot of times births are, you know, unnecessary C-sections arise from these faulty medical devices telling women that they're in fetal distress when they're not. 
So there's so many unnecessary C-sections every year. And we are really interested in companies that are not making incremental change or just doing something a little bit better than somebody else. We are interested in companies that are really shifting the landscape in women's healthcare and making outcomes better for women. Yeah, that's good. And I, we had uh, Karin Carmi uh, in our podcast uh, a few months ago, and Radiant Optometry is one also one of our Rosman innovators. Actually. Oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I love Neil Array. Yeah, so it's it's great to see that you're working with the team. Mm-hmm. This podcast is sponsored by Brown Rudnick's Global Life Sciences Group a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. Sometimes I got a lot of uh, people that come through my door, especially the young leaders who are interested in starting a venture fund. How do you start it? And you're successful in raising your fund. And can you share us with your your journey, what you have to overcome to get where you are today? Wow. Well, you know, I took on the task of raising a fund in the middle of a pandemic. So if you want to make things even harder, try being a person of color, a woman raising all remote during a pandemic. (laughs) Don't do that. That's my, (laughs) but actually, you know, you take a challenge and you use it to your advantage. And so uh, instead of having one or or three, you know, three meetings a day in New York City, I can have eight meetings a day over Zoom. And so I was trying to be more productive in how I did that. Um, I thought getting a great mentor is a very important part of starting your fund. I had a lot of great mentors helping me architect the fund, helping me figure out my portfolio strategy, fundraising strategy, how I should be accessing the best companies, how I should partner with acquirers. And so because of all of my great mentors like Hurley Dottie from Emerging Capital Partners, I feel that I've been able to create a institution that cannot that can last longer than just one fund. We're looking to build a platform that will be a franchise so that we can continue to fund women's health companies for years to come. So what are the top three things that you learn about the fundraising strategy that you learn from your experience and also from your mentor? It's really important to know who's going to be interested in you. Normally, when we jump on a phone call, I can tell in two minutes, If these people are really interested, they're doing it as a favor, or they're just looking for industry trends and information. And so it's really important to make sure that you can kind of hone in on who are the most likely people to convert for you. And so we've been able to, after many, many hundreds of meetings, understand who that is. So when we have those targets, we understand, okay, this could be a quick close. And we like to partner with people that are mission aligned with us. And so we've been focusing a lot on that. We focus on people who have made prior investments in funds like ours. So we find in looking at their websites, if they have a bunch of funds that are big and have eight funds and have been around and have $2 billion funds have been around for, you know, 20 years, they're probably not likely to invest in an early stage, first time fund manager. And so it's understanding how to triage all of the opportunities because it can be very overwhelming. 
everyone will take a meeting with you because people are doing research. They're doing their own research on different spaces. And especially with healthcare, because it's new, we've been in the space for a very long time looking at companies. We meet with all companies. So we have a lot of information on the landscape. So a lot of the co- the meetings that we take are really, they're just wanting to understand and, and learn. And that's great. After we've raised our fund, happy to do that. But while we're, while we're putting the payment for dollars, uh, we want to make sure that we're focusing on the people that can convert. And so I think that's really important is to understand where your sweet spot is and who is most likely to be aligned with you, understand your mission, and actually pull the trigger on investing. I think there's a lot more to it too, like convincing, converting the interest into something that they want put the money in, mm-hmm. uh, closing the deal, I guess. That's something that is important. Like, What did you learn from all your past experience that helped you close that deal? Like, What, what is important must have in order to close the deal? Authentic connections. And that's what we build. We try to build relationships and authentic connections because we can choose who gets to be in our fund. We don't have to let mean people into our fund. We don't have to let non-mission aligned people into our fund. We get to choose too. And I think that was really important lesson for me to learn. I don't have to let people into my funds that I don't feel comfortable with. And I think creating authentic relationships with people that you have shared values with is really important. And those are the type of people that I want to be involved in my fund because those are the type of people I'm going to have relationships with for the next 10 years. So uh, I really want to make sure there are people that I want to pick up the phone and talk to. So building authentic relationships with your LPs, I think is is paramount. Mm-hmm. So now that you've been investing, you've seen a lot of companies, startups that come looking for funding. What are the top commonality among startups that, that are looking for funding that did not result in you getting fund, uh, funding them? Number one, valuations were out of whack. I, everybody, I understand your baby. I understand you think it's the best thing since sliced bread. But if you have no revenue, no product, your company is not worth $100 million, not worth $20 million. So I think there's a, a discrepancy there. A lot of times with founders, they feel like the value, the future value of their company is what they want to place as the valuation today. And a lot of times it puts them at a disadvantage when they have too high of a valuation that they may not be able to grow into. And we're very focused and disciplined on our val- on valuations because you know we want to underwrite great returns. And so we have to be very disciplined about valuations and not especially in this digital health bubble, not be on that ride where we're investing in overinflated companies uh, because later down the road, you know, they'll have issues raising. Number two is product founder fit. I like to make sure that the founding team, it makes sense for this to be a problem that they're solving. They have some unique competitive advantage and they're the best team to solve this type of challenge that they're trying to solve. So for us, those are the two things that are really important. And then also, you know, market size. While we want to invest in a lot of amazing, great opportunities, again, this isn't a charity. We have to create returns for our investors. So we have to make sure the market size is big enough so that we can generate venture returns. I like what you mentioned about, because I think oftentimes people always say the team, the team, the, but what you're saying is the product and the founder fit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting perspective. Can you tell us more about that? 
So especially in healthcare and women's health, especially, there'll be very well-intentioned people who had an issue or a challenge in the healthcare system, and they want to go solve the problem. But what they don't realize is just how complex our healthcare system is. You have to deal with payers, there's, you know, providers, they just don't really understand how to navigate the complexities of our U.S. healthcare system. And so it puts them at a disadvantage. And a lot of times they're creating things that could never actually even be integrated into a hospital or into or reimbursed by a payer. And I think it's really important to have some knowledge of this industry so that you could be successful in trying to penetrate and scale your solution. And if you don't have that, you need to have someone on your team that does. And it's really important to understand where your gaps are so that you can round out the team. Because I can't expect for the founder to know everything, but I really want them to have some kind of insight and have some kind of experience with the problem that they're trying to solve. Some of the best entrepreneurs we have were solving the same problem within a corporation and they felt like they could do it better. So they left the corporation and started their own and their own version of that in a better, more dynamic way where they're able to innovate more quickly and get things out to the market more so than you would be able to do in a larger institution because of all of the bureaucracy and red tape. So I love founders that have maybe built something like this before in an institution and are now doing it for a different population or for the masses or in a little bit different of a way. And I think, like you were saying, I think uh, healthcare is such a complex uh, problem. And so oftentimes founders need to have a little bit more experience Mm -hmm. compared to when you started your company in college. Yeah, it's not that straightforward, healthcare. It also takes longer sometimes to get to the finish line as well. I also want to, you know, share with, you know, folks about sometimes being a person of color is, you know, we all walk a different life. And sometimes even I look at my son who is biracial. I don't even know what it feels to be him, even though I live with him. And so, you know, if you could give us some light or insight about being a person of color who live outside the U.S., live in the U.S., and then start a venture fund in a very, it's not, like you said, it's not that many uh, venture funds that started by women who are a person of color, like 0.1 water percent that you said. Yeah, well, I only know my own experience, so I wouldn't be able to compare it to someone else's. But I know we do face a lot of challenges that my other friends don't face. But, you know, I just look at that as an opportunity. I look at it as something to overcome, but I'm not letting that beat me down. I'm not letting, I'm not, you know, not pursuing opportunities because people tell me I can't. Can you imagine how many people told me you'll never start a fund, you'll never raise a dollar of investment money, especially during a pandemic? You don't have a background in venture capital, PE. You haven't worked in an investment bank. And you know, I said, that's great. I understand that was your path, but I've never taken the straightforward path. It doesn't exist for people like me. We're always circling or, or figuring out ways to circumvent different systems to get to what we need because the system isn't built for us. So being able to navigate and not be scared of obstacles or challenges is just something that I've always been a part of my life since I was a child. Because when you have skin of a different color, you understand what the world has for you and how they see you and how they view you and the different opportunities that may or may not be available to you. But it's up to you to overcome that and to not let that be a barrier. 
Yeah, no, that that's a good perspective to have that you know obviously helped you. And um, it's almost like everybody has a different take on how to solve the problem and uh, react to certain uh, challenges. I guess uh, it's a very personal thing. So, one last question before we uh, conclude our talk today. Um, what do you have uh, advice for entrepreneurs who you know are starting entrepreneur in the healthcare field to to be successful? Not only just the funding part, but it's also on the operation part because you, obviously you've done a lot of that before you become investors. To be successful, you need to take care of yourself. I, a lot of founders get burnt out. People think, oh, I'm going to start my own business. I'll be able to control my schedule. It's going to be great. No, it just means you're working 24-7 all the time. And so it's really important to think about your mental health, think about taking time for yourself, creating boundaries, because being an entrepreneur is a long commitment. And to be able to sustain the level of work, you need to be able to take an hour off and do yoga. You need to be able to take a walk. You need to be able to sleep at night. You need to eat well and be healthy because that's the way that your companies can grow and be healthy is if it starts with you. Well, that's good. Self-care is important. Well, thank you so much. It's really... Um fun to get to know you and I got to know a little bit more about you since our first meeting in uh in Russian River Valley (laughs) yes well thank you so much for having me it was wonderful and I look forward to seeing the success of all of the companies coming from the Roseman Institute oh thank you thank you for listening to another episode of the health technology podcast We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms.